Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I've been obsessively playing Super Mega Baseball 2 all week. I just did a video on Golf Story. I'm in the middle of editing a video about the first Tony Hawk game. So I've been really thinking about how certain sports games accurately simulated the best aspects of those sports. Super Mega Baseball 2 has the best grip on what I like so much about baseball. The feeling of a batter whiffing on a pitch, the anticipation of a high fly ball rising towards the fence, just gets over the edge before the crowd loses it. That sort of thing. That is Joe Bush. In fact, he, he wrote something for us on Waypoint uh, pretty recently, uh, and that is actually from a forum post called Games That Captured the Spirit of Something You Love on the Waypoint forums. And of course, this is Waypoint Radio. It's episode 157, and joining me today is one person, and one person only. It is the one and only Rob Zachney. I think I'm pretty much all you need to capture the spirit of what you love about Waypoint, uh, if, if I'm being honest. Like, yeah, it's basically just me here, and yeah. we're, we're sort of hanging out in an empty room, but I think I uh, I definitely am the super mega baseball version of Waypoint Radio compared to the full panels uh, MLB The Show. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. It's It's not Idol Weekend, but it's Waypoint Radio, and it's the two of us. Austin is uh, still doing E3 stuff, pre-E3 stuff, I think is what it's called. I forget what it's actually called. Judges uh, Week. Judges Week. Yeah, he is He is being a judge. Austin's being a judge. Patrick is on vacation. Uh, Danica is, is, is also doing super secret experiments. And uh, Natalie is graduating. So so it's the two of us here today holding holding down the fort. And we're talking about something that I think is a really fun thing to talk about. So obviously we're doing a forum topic again, but it's just such a darn good topic that I thought it would be a fun one to talk about. So uh, obviously Joe Bush here is talking about sports games, but the question is a little more open-ended. It's about any any game that really captures the essence of something that you love, sort of in the real world or in another context, which I think is is cool and open and broad. And of course... Sports games are a really good way of sort of, of opening that up. So I guess I will start with one example that is also a sports game thing. And mm-hmm. uh, just in the spirit of the question, we can open it up, of course, more from there. Uh, but I really love, actually, the grappling model in uh, UFC Sports 3. I think that's the one that I've played. The one that actually came out this year, um, which, you know, the game is, is interesting. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, it had, I had some issues with it, certainly. I had some issues with the sort of fame aspect and how that is sort of monitored and also the fact that Conor McGregor is on the front of that uh, package and dude hasn't fought uh, in the UFC in a while at this point. And there's a whole lot of bullshit going on there. I guess unless you count him, you know, throwing things at a bus full of fighters uh, as, a, as a fight. It was him versus that bus. It's even been uh, a while since the Mayweather thing, right? Yeah, like, it was almost a year ago. Yesterday's news. Yeah, so. that was like last July, I believe. 
possibly yeah. August. It's been the better part of a year. Uh, and and that I, I'm not his biggest fan. I think he's a great fighter, but, you know, really does not conduct himself all that well otherwise. So, yeah, all right. But the grappling in that game is awesome. It, it actually gets somewhat at the feeling of the push and pull uh, that is grappling, which, as I said in the piece I wrote about it, and also I truly think this is uh, the case, grappling is the most fun you can have with your body with your clothes on. I, I will... You know, I will hold to that forever. It is one of the most fun things you can do. It's super hyper intense. It's fighting, uh, but it's it's also like this this just wonderful just battle of wills uh, and wills and skills, I guess you could call it. And, and the how game do you, does how it does well. that game bring that to life? Is what I've always sort of because to me, like everything about grappling sounds so so about physicality, mm-hmm. so much about like. I don't know. It just seems like an impossible thing to to simulate, but I don't play games like this and I certainly don't grapple. So like, how do you get that mix of the physicality and then like the, uh, the, the, the mental chess aspect of it across in a game where your modes of expressing yourself are buttons and joysticks. Right. Well, it's never going to be as good as the real thing. I should, I should say that of course, up top. Uh, it's, it's not as awesome as doing it for real, but uh, it does a good job of at least simulating that chess aspect, which is to show it, it in the normal mode. It basically shows the kind of rock, paper, scissors. Oh, this move might be good against this move. This move might be good against this move. That kind of idea. So like this is a good counter move versus this is a good way of getting out of the guard versus uh, I, I should probably stop speaking gibberish here to people who don't grapple. So in the rock, paper, scissors kind of model, it's, it's you know, obviously one move will be a good counterattack to something versus one thing will be weak to something else. That just sort of general idea. So you're always kind of moving in between positions and you're doing that in normal grappling as well. You're sort of in a position and you're thinking about either defending an attack or attacking like a body part, say going for an arm bar or a choke or something like that. And there's always going to be moves that are effective against that as the sort of the counter to that. Or, or sorry, the defense against that. And there's also going to be things that it gives you an opportunity to do a counterattack against it. So it it gets at that feeling of constantly shifting positions and constantly finding those those opportunities for both offense and defense, which I think is pretty cool. And, and it's a little slow, which is also fairly realistic. Obviously, when you see really high-level grapplers, it is, is sometimes ridiculously fast, especially smaller uh, people because they're you know they're mm-hmm. they're doing all these wild things you know they have ridiculous balance and they're kind of going from thing to thing to thing especially no gi uh, or in like you know the UFC there's no keys at this point everybody's kind of wearing their underwear a little bit uh, so it is it is fast but it's not fast the way that boxing is fast it's not fast the way that kickboxing is fast it is, it is much more about sort of establishing dominant position so it can take a little while it can take a little while there's almost like a grind to it. Uh, and that's simulated really, really well with kind of the speed and the weight and the way it's deliberate when you're pressing these buttons and handling the but joystick. That doesn't end up feeling like uh, inscrutable because, like, the comparison I'm making in my head is, um, and it always seemed like a cool system. I just never had the patience to really master it. Was sure. um, uh, Metal Gear Solid Four, <laughs> uh, the CQC model. Uh, which I think is introduced by literally the character being like, Snake, how's your CQC? <laughs> uh, but what I, I remember look this about up, it... Because I have no idea what this is. <laughs> oh, it's... Um, so, yeah. So, Metal Gear Solid 4, in addition to like having all these stealth mechanics uh, and uh, all these like shooter these, these shooter elements, these nonlinear shooter elements, it also had 
a surprisingly detailed uh, branching, like hand to hand combat uh, interface where, like, you could have really granular hand to hand engagements with with other characters. And it like it, to my memory, and it's possible this is totally. I I was just I was drunk at a friend's house, so like <laughs> like my capacity to engage with the system was pretty minimal at that point. I basically turned to the guy. I was like, I can just shoot these guys, right? And he was like, Yeah, just shoot them, bro. And I did. I, I shot all of them. Um, my snake was pretty bloodthirsty. Uh, but the thing that stayed with me is like it looked a lot, especially when he showed me him doing it. And like it looked a lot like cool action movie fights or something but it yeah. also seemed like for however cool what however cool it was on the screen actually interacting with it was going to be this very much like a fighting game this inscrutable like combo system that doesn't necessarily feel like much of anything it's more a matter of internalizing this unintuitive simon says routine yeah it uh Obviously, when you're when you're working with that kind of that level of obfuscation, it, uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely <sighs> there's always that risk. I and there's entirely possible you can actually uh, sort of basically turn off the grappling and put it in like an mm-hmm. easy mode and just play with you know, sort of buttons and not the positional stuff or the sort of you know tweaking the stick a little bit to show you know to sort of uh add or subtract strength to what you're putting something in or it's it's hard to explain exactly but part of the reason i probably like it is that i do it in real life so i'm already mapping a lot of that stuff and i'm filling in those gaps a little bit i could totally imagine this being like what the fuck ever boring as shit but with but with (laughs) your real world knowledge you can you can translate (laughs) <laughs> what the game is offering you into concepts that you're familiar with from doing like in real world. I, I like to think so. And like, I should, really cool. I should, I should also say like, I, I I'm still a white belt. Like I'm a white belt with a stripe. <laughs> like I'm not, uh, I'm not like a black belt master, amazing, you know, uh, Brazilian jujitsu practitioner, but I sure do love it. I've been training it for like a year and a half and I, I sure do love it. So hopefully my enthusiasm, uh, carries me, <laughs> through some yeah. of that as well for sure for sure uh so what is do you do you have a, a sporty a sporty example or or would you like to sort of open this up into other games that sort of capture a feeling or capture some element of a real life thing that that feels great to play well yeah it's weird i think um sports are probably the natural one that occurs to you here because playing a game like a good sports game has to capture something about the spirit of an activity or like because that's all it can capture right like it has to bring across the feeling of uh playing a game or watching a great uh you know competition on tv because it can't like there's there's no way a game can like actually make the act of like shooting a three-pointer uh feel like landing one of those shots actually feels um so like I'm 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 struggling to think of stuff beyond uh sports really cuz like I mean obviously my go-to is like racing games. Yeah. Uh, particularly I would say like when the F1 series has been at its best, it has done a very good job of channeling not just the way I imagine racing an F1 car feels, but also the entire weird community rituals politics of racing uh sometimes feel as well so 
you know, the idea that like after you completely screw up a race or something, you have to go talk to the press and you'll have like David Croft there or something, uh, asking you basically about why did you why did you suck so badly in that race? <laughs> and you know, you got like three options or something where it's you know, basically like say something shitty to the journalist, uh, don't say anything at all, or just say like, Yeah, for sure and leave. <laughs> uh and, and like that will have ramifications but i love that the like yeah for sure option is there because like the minute you see that you realize like damn those guys do basically like blow off a lot of questions like that by just going like yeah no no totally (laughs) you got it bud (laughs) yeah yeah because like there's there's nothing to say so all you can do is sort of back away slowly from the question uh and answer kind of a meaningless affirmation uh so yeah i mean Trying to trying to get it beyond sports here uh, for a minute. Um, and I'm completely failing at the moment. Like, <laughs> That's I, like, okay. I, like I suppose no. Military history, for instance, is something I really enjoy. Yeah. And my favorite war games increasingly are about things that model problems beyond just the sort of stuff you can easily chart on a map uh so like give you an example a lot of war games are about turning an enemy flank right like sending units around to the flank and getting an advantage and sort of using that to what like leverage open an enemy position break it apart and then roll them up that's that's kind of a basic move in a lot of war games it's the basic move in like basically that is the entire name of the game in total war you know (laughs) be somebody with the last troops (laughs) on the field and go around to the flank and have that sort of advantage as your the full weight of your line hits the few guys on the end of their line uh it becomes like an almost simple physics problem but that is increasingly not what interests me. And so increasingly I gravitate toward war games that are more about intangible elements, the things that you can't just diagram and say, like, well, obviously here <laughs> is where so-and-so should have flanked, you know, in you know 1864 or something like that, or 1871. <laughs> uh, and, and so I really do, like, you know, I'm inclining a lot toward games like the Take Command series, uh, which is entirely about being sort of middle management of a battle in a lot of cases, uh, but not being the person in charge and certainly not being the person with like this God's eye view of the battle who can do everything. It's mostly about like, like literally you turn your camera to the right and you're kind of looking at it and it's like, are those enemy reinforcements showing up like behind us? Is that, (laughs) is that a problem? And then you sort of look at, like, the allied troops over there. And, like, because this literally happens uh, in this game. You'll have, like, AI commanders next to you uh, in line. And so you'll sort of be nervously, like, checking what they're doing and how they're doing it. And occasionally you'll start to look at it and you'll realize, like, oh, man, they are they are completely blowing this. Like, they are, they're, like, in five minutes, they're basically going to be, like, shot to shit. And then <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be completely exposed and alone here. So what do I do with that? Do I do I continue with the original plan with what my orders say or do I acknowledge the reality I'm seeing on the field and sort of shit can my orders and just try to do the best I can here? Uh and that's a that's a very that dilemma is something that actually comes up 
way more often in, in, in history, right? Like when you read things, it's not that people are idiots and couldn't do the obvious thing or couldn't read a map. A lot of times the, the real dilemma in, well, in military history, but you know, in any sort of collective human pursuit, the issues are actually ones of like coordination and understanding and information. And so games that bring that across, um, increasingly fascinate me because those seem like games that are about living an event through the eyes of its participants, uh, which is really irresistible to me. Yeah, absolutely. That, that feels like a lot of, of what is interesting about history in, in every context of like being there, that, that immersion factor. Um, speaking of immersion factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this might be, might have a little bit more to do with sort of animation and responsiveness to mechanics, uh, but here's here's another thing I've been doing a lot of lately in my life is swimming. I have been uh, I started swimming this year, like at at the new year, basically. Uh, I took some some classes for grownups at the Y. You know, I learned as a kid, but uh, you know, been taking proper swimming classes uh, for stroke mechanics, basically, uh, and appreciating good swimming. In games, uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. I think it was Rise of the Tomb Raider, right? The sequel is Rise of the Tomb Raider. I want to make sure. Let's let's make sure. Let me do a little Google uh, Googleations here. Rise of the Tomb Raider. Yeah, that's the one. What was uh, the first one? What was the first one? Um, it was like it wasn't just Tomb Raider, was it? No, no, that seems. It was like something it. Tomb Maybe Raider. It was, though. Well, here, I know Rise of the Tomb Raider is the, the, yeah. Oh, it, it just was. It was just Tomb called Tomb Raider. Okay. <laughs> I hate wait, wait. video game names so much. <laughs> uh, like, literally for the last year, like, I've been thinking Rise of the Tomb Raider was the first game in the series. And I was right. like, but what was the second one called? What was that second? Like, yeah. okay. It, it's, oh, God, yes. We're all soft reboots whole, now. That's the next conversation we have on Waypoint Radio. Fucking just a, a tirade against game You titles, can't go yeah. from Battlefield 1 to Battlefield 5. God damn God, it. It's, oh, it's an issue. It's such an issue. It communicates nothing. God. Anyway, um, Rise of the Tomb Raider, which I still think is one of the best video game ass video games of this generation in terms of like... I, I think it's a lot more fun than most of the Uncharted games, even though I liked the uh, that uh, the sort of Uncharted side story that came out last year. I thought that was really fun. Uh, but I think it feels a lot better in terms of the actual traversal mechanics. It feels sort of weightier in a way and also sort of uh, slippery in the right way, especially if you're literally, you know, sort of walking around in mud or, or sort of slippery, um, like climbing uh, crevasses, I suppose, <laughs> or which yeah. sort of traverses. Um the swimming animation is amazing in that game. There is like a real sense of, of just how not not just the speed, but also the sort of languid motion of moving toward in water and the sort of desperation when you come up for air. It, it, there's something about that animation that feels very, very, very weighty. Uh, in the right way. Like, it, I'm probably a similar size, I guess, to what Lara Croft uh, is. So it, it sort of, like, speaks to me as, like, all right, it's kind of a, a small woman with some muscles, and this is how it feels to move in the water and kind of get out of the water. And there's that moment of, like, I am breathing again, and it is wonderful, especially if you spend a lot of time doing freestyle. Oh, my God, it feels amazing to breathe. There's <laughs> definitely a, a sense of air hunger that you can get, uh, especially if you've been uh, swimming for quite a while. 
Uh, and it's really, really, really fantastic. And she also does this cute little thing uh, where I don't have really long hair right now, but I obviously used to, where every time she gets out of the water, she kind of like rings out her ponytail a little bit. Like it's this very yeah. just natural motion where she's just kind of like, all right, ring out the ponytail and onto the next, which just feels like a very, it's a small touch. It's not something anybody's ever going to spend, you know, years looking at and saying like, oh, here's the stroke of genius that made Rise of the Tomb Raider a great video game ass video game. But I think it's one of those small touches that really sells the moment and sells the character in in that like chef's kiss kind of way. So no, I totally get where game. you're coming from with that. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I've got like a friend of mine, like Sean Anderich over Games with Jobs. He and I yeah. will still geek out years, and it's been like literal years, and we still talk about it. How much it meant to us that like when it started raining in The Witcher One people would run for like the eaves of buildings yeah, and like town squares would just empty out and people would just sort of huddle uh, in like doorways and under like, you know, rooftops. Uh, and that was really, really cool. And like just little like lifelike details like that are great. Yeah. They just really sell like the, the sense of space and place and being there and the idea of this world as it's real. It's not just a collection of simulated elements and art assets and animation and scripting that all just kind of happens. It's, yeah. it's, it just gives it that extra little oomph to make something Speaking feel of, real. You know, it's got some good swimming. Oh, what has some good swimming? Donkey Kong Country Tropical Oh, Frame. yeah. It sure does. Are you still like, playing that game? It is a small thing. Oh, yeah. But the way that Donkey Kong gets those, like, moves with these little bursts of speed and then slows down. Yeah. And then burst of speed with each kick of his legs. And that motion continues. Feels so good and convincing in a weird way. And, like, the way he can't just turn in the water, but has to do, like, a little, like, uh, sort of dive turn to, to spin around and get yep. facing the other direction. It is such a cool thing. And sells the, uh, sells the illusion incredibly effectively that like this is a real environment and this character has like weight and inertia. Uh, also the fact that music changes when you go underwater is amazing. Yes. The it's music, so good. The way the music changes and like uh, when you get one of his little sidekicks, one of the other <laughs> members of the uh, Donkey Kong family, um, <laughs> yeah. the way they like add their own riff onto whatever the main theme is, is super cool. Oh, it's um, so, so good. Yeah. It's anyway, funny. Good swimming. Hell yeah, good swimming. And actually, it's a little bit funny. Uh, that was one of the main selling points of that game. Like, nobody besides me paid any attention to the, like, pre-release press on that game. But I was all for it, because of course I was. Uh, swimming was a thing that they were like... There was actually no swimming, I don't think, in Donkey Kong Country Returns, the the sort of Wii reboot of the, of the series. And swimming was always really fun. It was something people uh, remembered really fondly from the old games. And there just wasn't, it just was an element that wasn't in the new, uh, the reboot. So they were, when they introduced the swimming stuff, it was, it sure was a thing. Like that E3, like 2013 E3 or whatever it was. And they were like, oh, you can swim again. And I was like, oh my God, you can swim again. And everybody else is like, why isn't it Metroid? Great. You can swim again, but why isn't it Metroid? And that's why people are jerks. Uh, but yeah, Wait, it's, like, it's so beautiful. Should Donkey Kong have a gun? Is that the... Yeah, right? Like, I mean, you want to give him a, a, gun. a suit? Like a space suit? He's okay. cannons. Well, okay. cannon barrels. Donkey Kong Country on the moon with, like, different physics for jumping? That would be super cool. Would be that amazing. Would. All right. I would Retro be Studios. 
literally, all I remember about the earlier Donkey Kong g- games, by the way, is uh, minecarts. Like, literally, yeah. my only vision. Like, when I think, like, <laughs> man, I remember really liking Donkey Kong Country. And then the only thing I see is, like, racing around in minecarts. Basically, Minecart it was, madness. like, subterranean uh, Sonic is how I remember yeah. that game. I don't yeah. think that was how that game was, but it's what I remember. I mean, there was a, a minecart level in every world, I think. Maybe there wasn't in World 1. Okay, actually. so there were, like... A, so it's not just me. There was a shit ton of minecarts. There were plenty. I, okay. Let's call it five or six, because there are only, like, six or seven worlds, and I think the first world did not have a minecart level, if I'm not mistaken. I think the first one is in World 2. I played a lot of this game. <laughs> oh, so I, yeah, I there, actually, were, there were several. There, it wasn't just one. There were several of these levels, yes. I mean, actually, the more I think about this question, the more like I'm starting to like go expanding brain on the entire thing, and, yeah. and like actually no, like all actually all games capture the essence of something I love. Uh, but I think I was thinking about um, maybe because we talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago, but the original yeah. Arkham Asylum, yes, uh, which with that original with that original game and the original like voice acting team and it was written by Paul Dini. Uh basically the original Arkham Asylum played like a really really good and involving episode of Batman the animated series. Hmm. Stylistically it was totally different. Like it didn't look sure. remotely like uh like Bruce Timm's artwork um which was a major major part of like why the original uh at- animated series was so good. But nevertheless, like in terms of tone, the characterizations, uh, that entire thing sort of felt familiar uh, as a fan of Batman the Animated Series, which was like, that probably is and always will be like my Batman, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Like, it was Batman the Animated Series, and then like the stuff that um, Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker uh, were writing in the late 90s. But, uh, what was so important about that is <sighs> what the animated series eventually turned into, because the characters would see each other again and again and again, is after a point, it was about exposing the essential elements of these characters and their relationships. Like, I think it's in the animated series where, like, you start actually seeing plot lines really digging into how shitty the relationship between like Harley and the Joker is like Harley (laughs) starts out as a complete joke, but I swear, I swear to God uh, it was in that series even where you started having people pointing out like, you know, this guy treats you like shit. Like you think like that starts becoming an element uh, in that series. You start having a lot of the ongoing relationships and conflicts between these characters carried from one episode into, into the next, like it wasn't serial storytelling, but like the weight of history with these characters got heavier each time they encountered each other and sort of evolved those relationships. And I think Arkham Asylum kind of works on that level because, because it presumes a lot of like, understanding of who these characters already are, you're sort of meeting them when they've already sort of been to this dance a bunch of times before. And this is the latest and most dramatic, like final showdown uh, between these characters, but it definitely felt like a continuation of some of those conflicts you saw arise in the animated series. Yeah. 
it was also really fun to uh, uh, swing around in that game. <laughs> oh, it was super good. I guess it wasn't really swinging as much as it was sort of shooting from point to point uh, with the with the God, what was it called? It's not yeah, the, the batarang. The the, the, uh, the grappling hook. The yeah. grappling thing. Yeah, it's was... just the grappling hook. I don't think it's the bat. Okay. I don't think it's like the bat no or anything like the that. The battling hook is a, no. No. Okay. All right. I mean, it, thank God, it, it's not. That would be, <laughs> that'd be uh, no, I mean that, that that's the other thing though is like the later games because it moved to the open world stuff. They basically turned Batman into like someone who could fly like he'd just get up in the tall places and like jump and then his cape would let him like glide through the city but i think like arkham asylum is the most it felt like being batman right where like you couldn't fly but you could like sort of float pretty far and most of what you did was sort of drop out of the shadows pounce on somebody wreck them and then vanish yeah that game was really good I feel like it, uh, we don't do as much of this anymore. But we used to do kind of retrospectives on games, and it'll be ten years next year, actually, for Arkham Asylum, which is bananas to Shit, think about. I need to start working on that then. I know, right? Well, you've got a year uh, <laughs> to do it. But man, that was a oh, that was a really yeah, good game. I need to. I need. I am looking up now. This is this is driving me nuts. I <laughs> want to say it's in the original animated series where you have the episode where Harley. Uh, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy basically like have a felonious girls' night. I guess is the way to put oh. it. We're like, we're like, we're like Ivy like seriously like ser- like eventually hits a breaking point and grabs Harley and is like, let's just get out of here. Like, let's get away from the shitty dude. And it turns into a vaguely Thelma and Louise kind of thing. Hell yeah! I know in the comics now there there was definitely like an actual flirtation. I think uh, a, yeah, I think no, I think the, I think it actually graduated to the point of like an entire like uh, like queer storyline. Perfect um, around those two. A um, thing I will need to read. <laughs> I don't read much uh, or many superhero comics, but I you know no hundred percent. This resist? totally happens. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, yep, it's and it was written by uh, Paul Dini. Uh, nice. which, who directed, uh, who, who wrote, uh, Arkham Asylum. Oh, that's fantastic. Very good. Very good. That show owned. And so did Ugh. that game. Things that owned. I'm trying to think of a good segue, uh, but I guess sometimes our questions own they and do. those are really good. And sometimes uh, <laughs> we get owned via the questions. Well, often, in fact, uh, there's a really good question right here, uh, from Column. And column rights, sorry, are there any, I should ask if there are any other uh, specific sort of elements we wanted to chat about before we go into the question book, of course. Oh, I do have one. I Just one last one. And of course I have to, because it's Prey. Uh, microgravity and Prey. It's real good. Feels great. Oh, yeah. so good. Anyway, do you have any other ones? No, I'm just reading the summary of this episode, and I'm like, yeah, this is really good. <laughs> Like Joker is unfairly blaming Harley for one of his fuck ups, and then Poison Ivy's like, he doesn't treat you right. This guy's garbage. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it's good. I wanna. I would like to watch that. I'm gonna watch that. I'm gonna read those comics. I'm gonna do more things that own. And Column here has a very good question about things that may own or may not own, basically. So Column writes, "Hello Waypoint. I was wondering if there are any games you absolutely love." But also acknowledge our bad slash broken, (laughs) 
broken enough as games uh, to not actually feel comfortable recommending them to other people. The example that always comes to mind for me is Space Station 13, the free-to-play multiplayer sandbox game. It's still the best multiplayer experience I've ever had. Uh, it is a game that manages to jump back and forth between genres every round and has uh, absurd amounts of mechanical depth. However, it's also a truly terribly made game created on an engine that was never made to do what the game tries to do. It has awful netcode, looks like garbage visually, and is a nightmare to get into without being willing to read through half a dozen wiki guides. I adore this game. It is easily on my greatest game of all time list. It is also a dumpster fire. I could never in good faith suggest that anybody ever play it, no matter how much I would want to. Does the Waypoint crew have any similar games among their all-time favorites? Peace, Column. Well, Column, you've come to the right place. Oh, yeah, I feel yeah. like we, we might have to ask this again uh, when Austin is on the, the podcast because he, he is the king of liking things that might be a little broken, but they're interesting. Um, but, Rob, do you have any specific examples of this or, oh, or yeah. anything uh, jump dude, to mind? Like I, yes, let me just open up my dumpster of like beloved <laughs> trash and just start pulling some wrappers out for you. Uh, now, so... The other night I was playing Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl. Uh, yeah. I'm, wor- I'm still working on a, on a thing about that because there's this, like, look, it is way too early get- to get excited about Stalker 2 because, like, the uh, what they're proposing is, I think, a 2021 release date, oh, which boy. is a pretty long time for things to go wrong in game development, particularly when this is a franchise that, like, famously kind of imploded. Uh, and I like, and there was a lot of bad blood left between a lot of the original stakeholders, as I understand it. Uh, so I'm just, I'm not like, as much as I would love Stalker Two, uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm not getting my hopes too high about it. But it did sort there's of also, move me. So, sorry, oh, go sorry. on. I was, I was just gonna say, there's also the fact we might not live to 2021. Like, we well, just I might not make to. it. I mean, I, I want to. I'm just saying, like, if humanity I mean, makes God it to 2021. What the, what the state of the world will be in 2021, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's for sure. It's possible we'll all be engaged in, like, a stalker LARP uh, at that yes. point. And we'll no longer need uh, Stalker 2 because uh, we're all stalkers now. <laughs> Rob, that's the real game. That's it. That's what it is. I'd be okay with that. I think I would. I don't know. I feel I I have complicated feelings about that future, but I suppose that's because I'm not being realistic. Like in my head, I'm like, I would totally be one of the people who survived the apocalypse and like just started thriving out there, you know, on the on the open range with my Kalashnikov and my anti rad. Uh, medications and your guitar. I, I you definitely know. wouldn't be somebody who was like murdered by looters in the first like thirty six hours, or like <laughs> eaten by cannibals in the first three months. That that wouldn't happen to me. Uh, anyway, uh, no, like Shadow of Chernobyl um, is. I can't recommend you just play vanilla Shadow of Chernobyl. It's one of those games where I'm like, okay. So you should absolutely play Stalker, but you definitely should first do some investigation as to whether or not you want the Stalker Complete mod or whether you want the Zone Reclamation Project mod. Uh, What Stalker experience do you want? Because the vanilla experience has got a lot of broken shit in it, uh, and then there's two real schools of thought about how you fix that. Uh, Stalker Complete makes for a really, really gorgeous game and has some nice quality of life improvements. But Zone Reclamation Project is, like, 
supposedly the fixed version of uh, of the vanilla game but then there's a ton of options within that and do you want those like within five minutes of opening stalker the other day i had to open up the console commands and kill the head bob because it was making me sick and like games do not make me motion sick and this one like almost had me on the floor within two minutes yeah and then even if you get past all that the game throws you up against like multiple brick walls right at the start like I ended up playing, on, on Twitter I said it was like 30 minutes. No, it was 30 minutes for the first time I beat the opening gunfight. It was like 90 minutes of trying oh. to win the first encounter in this game. Because Stalker does not give a shit about you. Like, it does <laughs> not, like, this is not some, alright, like, here, here's the start of your progress toward becoming like, becoming like a badass in this game. It is, you start out the game, someone hands you a trash pistol... And is like, can you go take out those bandits? And you're like, sure. And the pistol, like, can barely, like, it's got no power at range. And so, like, but neither do theirs. And so the fight just goes on forever as you and these bandits, like, completely futilely exchange fire from range. And, like, at a certain point, you start to realize, like, why am I even taking cover? Nobody can hit anything. Like, guys will be, like, loading shells into their shotguns and, like, blasting away at you from, like, 40 yards away. And, like, you'll hear the buckshot, like, scattering all around you. But, like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, And so the battle just goes on on and on while you and this, like, half-assed group of bandits try to fight each other. But there's still seven of them and one of you. uh, And so chances are you'll die a lot. Uh, or you'll run out of ammo and get killed because you're trying to like go in close and scavenge it off the bodies. And that is how Stalker opens. And I was talking about this on Twitter the other day, and like everyone remembers that fight because it might be the hardest single gun battle in all of Stalker, which is wild. Like the <laughs> hardest thing you will do in that game is basically the very a scrub first thing. Le- yeah it is a yeah. scrub league match between like two garbage teams uh <laughs> and you cannot like it's 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 impossible uh but if once you get past it it does make it a lot more meaningful the first time you get like an actual assault rifle like the first time you get a battered old kalashnikov you're like oh now I'm the terminator like now <laughs> I'm just going to you know take these guys down uh but yeah so that's like everything about stalker you have to you have to like front load it with these caveats that it's like, well, okay, the game's totally broken. So actually first you need to spend like an hour or so figuring out which mods to install and how to install them. And then don't get discouraged if the game is totally nightmarishly impossible for the first two or three hours to play with it. Uh, <laughs> it gets good. I promise. It's definitely <laughs> worth all that trouble. Oh man. I just want to watch you play it. I think that's what I actually want. I don't think I... Because I'm so fascinated by this game. I, I love the film Stalker. I, I had, like, a amazing experience watching that at the Damn. Harvard Film Archive. Yes. A yes. major mechanic is you reach into your bag of rusted-out bolts and you <sighs> fling them in front of you to see if anything bad happens to them. That sounds amazing! Yeah, yes! no. Like, when God! I saw the movie and the guy, like, started flinging bolts into, like, an old field, I was like, holy yes! shit. Holy shit. There it is. There it is. Okay. I, can, can you just play it and I'll watch you play it? Yeah, I think that, that can be arranged, actually. All right. We can do that. We can do that. See, there we go. It's called streaming. I know. I know. But still, like, 
I still actually, not that I'm going to go off on this tangent, but I still think of things in the, the old school ways. Like, we could hot seat this when I, say, you know, kind of talk about, like, playing a game with my girlfriend. Like, that's how we play oh, God like, of War. Oh, we should like have that. a sleepover and, like, you yes! watch me play. Yeah, I mean, we should do that. We should totally do that. But also, yeah, I could just stream that and we could do that. We could get content out of it. I guess we could either way, right? It's cool sleepover. I don't know. I just Anyway, I'm a child, but it's fine. I guess speaking of I'm a child... I was thinking a lot about this, and the answer uh, to something that gave me a lot of joy, but I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, would probably be Mario is Missing, the edutainment game uh, from the early 90s. But actually, like, I think a better answer for this might be Sonic Adventure, uh, a game that I actually think is kind of good. A little broken, a, a lot broken. Uh, watch speedruns of that game. It's actually really fascinating Which the way this game was Sonic Adventure. In the first 3D Sonic... Well, okay, okay. The first 3D Sonic that was all 3D. I think there were 3D elements wait, in various Sonics before that. Wait, but like is this first, another like, one of those games that's on your island of mis- misfit 3D platformers? Yes. Okay. Kind of. Continue. I mean, so I'm not going to call this one... It's nowhere near as good as Mario 64 or Banjo-Kazooie or uh, you know the, the latest iterations of 3D platformers uh, that are actually pretty good. But I think it's good. I don't think it's, like, completely broken. It's broken, but good. It's one of those. I, I think it's it, it fits the criteria for this. So I actually did a guide to games on this. So I played it somewhat recently. Uh, it's, like, during my tenure at Waypoint. And it's actually a really interesting, like, 3D platformer with these very bizarre sort of adventure elements and going to the right place. And the story is fucking bananas. And this is where a lot of, like, Sonic's shitty friends were actually introduced. Like, I, I'm... Almost, I am 99% sure this is Big the Cat's first game. Like, this is where Big the Cat <laughs> had, like, a fishing mini game, basically. Uh, and, and a lot of things that would become horrid in later 3D Sonics were introduced here. Like, Sonic has fast levels, and other people have maybe less fast levels. But there's actually some really interesting level design here. Now, if you were a, a child of the era, this was like the launch Dreamcast game as well. So, of course, the Dreamcast was sold on Sonic running away from the whale, that famous, you know, sort of moment. Uh, but I think there's actually a lot of tricks up its sleeve that were pretty cool and interesting. There's a very bizarre and interesting and weirdly constructed world here that I actually find really interesting and really cool. Uh, so I actually, I really like this game. I don't think it's great and it is kind of broken in certain ways but yeah it's it's pretty cool so i I would call that not on my top 10 list of all time or anything like that but very cool very cool game that is worth some consideration and and uh perhaps sonic was misjudged at least at this point i mean later on that things happened uh that maybe sega's not proud of but uh at this point i think they still had things to be proud of you ever just sure. look at pictures of Big the Cat and think, I do not like those hands? Oh, yeah. Ever look at pictures of Sonic from that era and think, I do not like his hands? Because his hands are, like, as big as his face. Like, that 1999, like, like Sonic the Hedgehog, like, he's walking around and his legs are kind of, you know, doing a thing. And, like, his hands are just so massive. And also, if his hands are that far developed, why are his legs and feet not super developed They're if he very, runs like, pipe cleaner. yeah it's, he just has these skinny little tiny legs and it's like that's where you want the muscle not in your hands but it would be i don't know it's interesting 
it is interesting. Good old, good old Sonic. We're not an anti-Sonic website as much as, you know, people want to call it one way or the other. I don't think that's true. All right. Uh, do you want to do some quick waypoints? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, yeah, I think we should. We can. I, we can probably take one more letter. Like we're so bad at the bucket, man. Is there? I if you got another right. one on deck, we can do it. Otherwise, happy to dive into waypoints. All right, let's see. I think we got one more. I think we got one more letter here. Yeah, we get a good one. We got a real good one right here. Uh, this one comes uh, from Francisco from Virginia, and we've got some stuff uh, in here that actually is uh, pretty relevant to other parts of our conversation, which is very good. Francisco says, after playing through God of War and reading through your article, The Long Take and This Is America, underlines why God of War needed a cut. I was curious on your thoughts on video game camera directing. In particular, moments you really liked or disliked. I'll try not to spoil anything, but one uh, one thing I really appreciate that you can see in both God of War and Batman Arkham series is the idea of rendering a character out of your vision cone. Kind of like seeing inside your character's psyche. Uh, in the most recent Arkham game, Arkham Knights, Batman is struggling through uh, through most of the game because of the death of the Joker, sorry, in Arkham City. <laughs> Several times. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that happened. All right, well, whatever. Several times through the game, you can see and even feel Batman start to lose his mind as he sees uh, his dead nemesis throughout the world. Sometimes it scared the pants off of me. Other times I thought I could feel the Joker looking in the background. I would turn the camera and see nothing and then turn the camera back in front again and see the Joker right in front of me. Do you guys have any similar experiences with directing, playing with the idea of having the user control the camera, or just any specific moments in general where this idea really stood out to you? Love the show, and uh, Francisco also has a really good side note here. Another great instance in the Arkham games is when Batman would grapple up the top of a building, come into contact with Man-Bat. Seriously, Man-Bat. Uh, <laughs> he linked a picture, or they linked a picture, and scared the living daylights out of you. Man-Bat is creepy. Oh, man bat. I only know what Lego man bat looks like because I played the Lego, the first Lego Batman man bat was in there. And it's, yeah, things, things happen there. Um, uh, but Rob, do you have a specific thought about a camera moment hmm. in a game? Uh, video game cameras, I generally, it's tough for me because there's a lot of well-directed games out there like Naughty Dog in their cinematic sequences are really good at building a scene and controlling your attention because they're employing like really, you know, classic, uh, film techniques. Yeah. It's, I'm struggling to think of like, I think it is cool when games mess with your sense of reality that way. Uh, like for instance, the entire, like having Joker appear and disappear, uh, in places or, uh, spec up the line played with stuff like that as well, where like you would sometimes be dealing with things that were not there, right? Like there's a sequence where you're in the middle of, uh, you know, a gun battle in an old 
in an old mall, I think, basically. And at some point, you become convinced, like, you're getting rushed by guys. And then, like, the lights come up and there's mannequins that you've just been, like, wasting. Uh, but a minute ago, they weren't mannequins. And so you're you're kind of left with that. Um Another nifty, uh, another nifty uh, thing that was done was that I think in the original Kane and Lynch, you could play the campaign co-op, uh, and I will, I'll stand for, I'll, I'll stand up for Kane and Lynch and Kane and Lynch too, until uh, <laughs> my dying breath. Another perfect examples of games that I like. I would hesitate to actually recommend to you, but I'm like, but they were awesome though. Like for all yeah. for all that they're shit, they're they're pretty awesome. Uh, but when you play the the sort of precipitating debacle of Kane and Lynch is that you go on a, like a routine bank heist and Lynch you're basically completely criminally insane partner uh, has a meltdown midway through the, the heist and slaughters a bunch of people. Oh. Um, and apparently like when you play that scene through from his perspective, um, like over the course of that scene, as he loses touch with reality, like you do start to see like all these people in this bank start to like become enemies. And so you're sort of put in the position of like you, you see them attacking you and you sort of react and then it's revealed that haha, none of that was real. Uh maybe maybe a problematic story element, who's to say? Uh but nevertheless, like it was it was kinda nifty. Um but yeah, I don't know. Like I'm I'm also always I'm always tickled by when games the various ways games can sort of control your attention and pull it this this way or that. Um Yeah, you know, I think the Bioshocks were were great at doing this. Uh I think Fort yeah. Frolic in particular is very good at sort of creating these tableaus that you are meant to see that like even though you can walk around them uh, you are still somehow in several places dancing to Sander Cohen's tune and being forced to perceive his art the way he wants you to. He's arranged it. It's this curated experience through a level uh, that is really, really cool. Yeah. And the lighting, especially yeah. in that level, is it's just phenomenal <laughs> and, and dramatic and beautiful. Um, one game I, or one thing I thought of the most uh, for this question wasn't just sort of, uh, you know, the, the sort of traditional framing question, but more about cutting. Uh, I played a game recently called Paratopic that uses jump cuts and, and, and hard cuts. Uh, it's a horror game where you're playing in first person. And so, you know, your, your view is being directed a certain way and you are sort of going through these motions. You're sort of a, a delivery person in this horrifying world and, you, and you're going through. And there are moments where you're kind of walking around in first person, exploring things, maybe talking to people. And, and then you'll be smash cut into driving a car. And then all of a sudden you're driving this car down this sort of devilish highway, highway rather. Uh, it it uh, definitely... Uh, it sort of takes from the 30 Flights of Loving uh, sort of uh, idea, you know, using these hard cuts and using sort of jump cuts while you're playing a game, which is really cool and actually, like, such a cool idea. I'm kind of surprised more games haven't used this as a technique, but Paratopic does it brilliantly. Uh, you know, uh, 30 Flights of Loving uses it in a sort of zany and cartoonish and fun way, but Paratopic uses it in this really sort of terrifying and disjointed way uh, to tell its 
kind of narrative. So I guess more of an editing technique than necessarily a camera technique, but still very, very effective, like cinematic language example in a game that I think is rad. All right. Let us now move to our waypoints for the week. Rob, is there something you've been watching or reading or it's just something special, something you want to shout out? Uh, yeah, so I have... Now I'm now far enough along with this that I that I'm comfortable endorsing it. Uh, I have really gotten into uh, Counterpart on oh. Stars Show. Okay. I don't know one of the premium channels. Who's to say? <laughs> um, certainly who's not say? I. Uh, no, I'm good. Like, sorry for the keyboard. I'm just I, I had to look that up. Okay, it I is. Yeah, it's a stars show, and it stars J.K. Simmons, oh. uh, and it is this cool. Uh, it's got a very Tinker Tailor vibe to it. Uh, so, like, if you like sad spies, like this is this is your shit. Uh, I love I love sad spies, so I'm I'm all about this. Uh, but J.K. Simmons like plays this low-level, like, minor functionary in this mysterious uh, Berlin spy agency in, uh, Mm. like, what feels like... It feels like modern day, but also maybe just a little bit off-kilter enough where, you know, it sort of feels like a parallel modern day. It doesn't... It's it's weird. It doesn't entirely feel near future, and it doesn't entirely feel contemporary. I would say it sort of exists in sort of the... um, land of anachronism to a lesser extent like that legion uh inhabits uh in some ways where like there's there's an aesthetic that sort of obscures uh exactly what tech level and when a story is taking place but anyway um so he is this low-level functionary in the spy agency and there are all these like peculiar and weird rituals he has to observe and that none of them really make any sense to him and then he's the tail end of a completely like failed career. Like he's he's just an an old nobody, uh, sort of being put out to pasture. And then one day he is called in to deal with uh, a potential defector from the other side, whatever the hell that means. And <laughs> ba ba ba, he goes into the room. It's somebody with a hood over his head. Ba ba, it's J.K. Simmons. <laughs> Oh shit! And it is a very mean and murderous, uh, like super spy, J.K. Simmons. And the entire idea of the show is that somewhere like thirty years ago, the timeline splits, and it splits in this like one particular part of Berlin where there's like a dimensional rift that opens up. And on one side, we have our continued history to our present day, and on the other side there was a mirror world that has been slowly but steadily diverging from our own. And the main thing the show is about is people trying to figure out what is essential about their character. Like in addition to all the spy stuff, which is cool and fun and uh, definitely like scratches that itch. The really compelling part about it is people wrestling with the mystery of self and identity right like when mm. you start to realize like maybe there's maybe you are both more the product of circumstance than you think and yet at the same time there are much more essential parts of you that sort of shine through no matter what your circumstances were 
And that's kind of what the show is exploring. And uh, I'm about halfway through, and it is super good. <sighs> add, add it to the list. Just just put it on the list. Pile it on. You know, I need I need that in my life as well. <laughs> that sounds very good. Oh, I should actually. I should also say like Olivia Williams just fucking kills in the show as as well. Uh, so she oh. is his wife in one timeline and his estranged and also very badass uh, super spy wife uh, ex wife in another in another timeline. She is also doing some great, great work. So uh, if you if you felt that she was a criminally underutilized asset in shows like Dollhouse, for instance, um, I don't know. She's getting she's getting some justice here. Nice. Very good. I'd like to hear that. I am going to do a, a, a waypoint waypoint because we're going to plug a, a, a radio motherboard episode, and that's that's going to be one of the waypoints. Uh, and I'll do I'll do a shorty uh, a little shorty boo uh, other waypoint for myself. But first, before I could forget, we have a radio motherboard episode that is relevant to uh, to the gamer interest. Let's call it you know the the the, uh, the GI. I suppose the gamer That's gamer not, uh, GI is not. I mean Johnny Q Gamer. GI John Q Gamer GI Tract. John Q Gamer might be interested in this radio motherboard episode from just a couple days ago. It is uh, titled Pod Void If Removed. And I'll read you the little description. You can find this, of course, on iTunes or wherever you get your fine podcasts. Uh, radio Motherboard, of course. Uh, and the topic here is the FTC just announced that warranty void if removed stickers uh, on video game consoles are illegal, which is a big win for consumers and an indication that the walled gardens of electronic manufacturers are being breached. So really cool story and a cool Radio Motherboard episode. Go listen to Radio Motherboard. They've been doing a lot of cool reporting around that, around like right to repair issues and and such. This was a really cool uh, sort of uh, change in policy that's transpired. Uh, So that's been cool to read about. I also really enjoyed related to that. Uh, Did you, did you see the, did you see the articles they wrote about um, farmers hacking their, I think it was John Deere tractors that have like really restrictive, like firmware on them. Uh, And so that like, People are getting around John Deere's like ploy to get them to bring it to a dealership. Yeah, I saw a little bit of that, yeah, which that was seemed really cool. wild and fascinating. Yeah, Motherboard just does really good stuff. They are, you know, obviously the obvious other vice site, uh, but they do some really really cool reporting. Uh, and if you're interested as well in in that sort of uh, in the sticker story, uh, there is a written story here, and the headline is FTC gives Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo 30 days. To get rid of illegal warranty void if removed stickers, which is also cool. So check out that headline on Motherboard if you have a second. And uh, definitely check out that uh, John Deere farmer hacking story because that is wild and and really cool. Very, very, very cool stuff. So my other waypoint, my, my personal waypoint, I suppose, if you will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a game uh, that I have been obsessed with Um the last couple of days and it's called assemblance oversight and i'm not going to go on too too much because i wrote a piece on the site this week about it uh it is just a very very cool puzzle game sort of sci-fi paranoia thriller puzzle game wherein you play as a it's not really clear who you are but it's a first person game uh where you go inside a machine that recreates memories 
And basically, the early game is is really cool. A lot of little puzzles that you solve to kind of figure out what's happening in this world. It's a it's a sci fi story about a potential like space travel, and maybe there's aliens, and there's some weird science shit going on, and there's a whole bunch of sort of just Cold War era paranoia sort of floating around the whole thing. And then the late game, very much like uh, the first game of the series, just Assemblance, uh, becomes this really really uh, intricate. ARG style kind of web of intrigue where you're trying to figure out little tiny clues and, you know, figure out all the codes that are written on the walls and things like that to kind of find new endings and and to find other pieces of the much larger puzzle. Streamed it uh, a little bit today and I wrote about it yesterday, so I don't want to go overboard on it, but I love it. I, I really enjoy this kind of thing where, you know, the fun of it very much is in sort of plumbing its depths and, and messing around with variables and resetting things hmm. and kind of playing around with stuff. So really, really cool game that is a semblance oversight and it's and it's awesome. Question it's for on, you. Uh, yeah, please. It's like one of the, my favorite experiences that I've had playing game in the last couple months was uh, like when I went back and I played through Dishonored Two again. This time I was like, "Fuck it, I have time. I'm going to beat. I'm going to solve the Jindosh riddle." Yeah, and it was really good. But I was like, "Man, I wish like there were sort of a game that like had a lot of exploration, environmental storytelling, and all that stuff and stuff I enjoy, but also maybe through like really cool brain teasers." Uh, at me like is this is this that game or is is the nature of the puzzle very different i wouldn't call them brain teasers i would call it more it feels like science okay this is a weird way of putting it It feels like you're experimenting with variables it, it basically what it what it comes down to is that there's like six seven whatever environments and you can change tiny variables in those environments and observe what those differences are and sort of figuring out what those things are what things to interact with in those environments will give you different permutations on the environment and different things you can try and different things from there so it's almost like variable science yeah (laughs) but with within like trippy mind fucky sci-fi kind of environment so it's not like uh trying to solve spatial puzzles or anything like that and it's not really like rhymes or riddles or anything like that but it is i think it scratches that itch or it does for me but it is not you know a one-to-one i think with the brain teaser sort of uh paradigm but it'll tease your brain yeah i'll tell you that Yeah, I I have a blast playing it. It's really fun. It's a good stream game, too, because your community can kind of get into it and like, oh, hey, have you tried making it red and then... I'm I'm trying to keep it vague, but you tried making the world red and then trying to make it blue and then, you know, trying to talk to the computer again, that sort of thing. Like, it's it's all about just messing around and seeing with what you can kind of interact with, which, you know, catnip for me, for sure. (laughs) Awesome. So with with our waypoints done... Uh, and uh, talking again, go listen to Radio uh, Motherboard. They're good. I must. Uh, we must sadly come to a close on this off-brand Idle Weekend slash Waypoint Radio <laughs> episode 157. Thank you, as always, to Bowen for letting us use his track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. We're on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice. We're on YouTube at Waypoint Vice. And a cool video went up today, in fact, on YouTube. Uh, a video by Austin and myself. That is about uh, State of Decay 2 and some really cool and weird stories that Austin kind of got himself into. The the kind of fun trouble he got himself into in State of, of Decay 2. So you can check that out if you have a moment. 
Of course, you can read everything we write, and all of our good stuff goes up on waypoint.vice.com. Rob, where can people find you on the internet? At Rob Zachney on Twitter. Amazing. And if you, if, you, if you want to, friends, you can follow me at Danielle R.I. Thank you all for listening. And we must sign off, of course, with the traditional Waypoint Radio greeting of be good and be good at it. Oh, uh, you can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net. <laughs> and so, no, sorry. Peace. Good. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.